Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to episode 47 of the Osher Ginsberg podcast. I'm Osher Ginsberg. Thank you so much for being here. This is a weekly conversation with someone that I find inspiring. Hopefully, it'll leave you inspired as well. That's it. That's all I hope. Today's guest is actor and plant eater, Arianwin Parks Lockwood. Find her on Twitter at Arianwin, A-R-I-A-N-W-E-N-P-L. More about her in a moment. I'm grateful you're here. Thank you so much for being here. If you're new, please check out some old episodes. There's a lot there. Um, I have a first anniversary show coming up in only a few short episodes from now, and I really want you to be a part of it. So I'm going to be doing a question and answer show. So send me your questions. I have a new email address. Send Osher email at gmail.com. That's it. That's the address. Send Osher email at gmail.com. I would love to hear your voice, though I'm understanding that uh, not everybody wants to put their voice down for the show, but I would love to hear your voice. So please go to osherginsberg.com, click on the right-hand side there, leave a voice message, and um, I will get that voice message. Hopefully, I can get it on your show. I'd love to answer your questions. I need a bunch more. I need a bunch more. If I get your question on the show, I will send you a personal thank you, something in the post 
actually something that was in my hands and written on, I will send to you. Um, I hope you've had a good week. I'm doing okay. I'm coming close to wrapping up this season of The Bachelor, season two. Thanks to everyone that's watching. Thank you very much. The ratings are fantastic. We're very happy with them. Um, slowly, slowly, I'm feeling healthier though, but um, I don't know who else got that Splendor flu, but man, this one knocked me about. I'm still coughing stuff up. I've been on my, just, I've, I've been ill. <laughs> Haven't been on my bike for about three weeks though. So that's sending me, uh, sending me a bit crazy. Uh, not being able to wash off my anxiety with exercise. Um, that's been a bit of a challenge for me. Uh, but you know, I'm grateful I'm not in hospital like some people I've heard about who've got this flu. Um, but I did start a new thing this week. I've, um, because my little brother is amazing and his boyfriend is amazing and they told me to get a pebble. I've got a pebble, which is a, a fancy watch that talks to my phone. Um, and I've set it to, um, I've set it to buzz me on the hour, every hour. And I'm trying this new thing where when it buzzes, I'm just stopping down and doing a simple breathing meditation, just 10 simple breaths. That's, that's all I'm doing. I'm just, you know, I'm just finding that too often at the end of the day, I'll find myself crabby or irritable or even quite anxious just because it's been rising up through the day. So I'm just experimenting with what it's like to try and manage that by just letting off some steam through the day. As you know, I, you know, I've talked about this. I got into trouble a few months ago when I realized that I couldn't relax myself. So I'm just making sure that I'm working that muscle, you know, more and more, just getting good at calming myself down quickly. Because uh, when I'm calm, I guess I'm able to come up with a wider spectrum of reactions rather than just fear or freeze. Um, so yeah. yeah, that's what I'm working on this week. Anyway, let me tell you about my guest. This week, my guest is Ariane Wynne Parks Lockwood. She's lovely. She's a brilliant young Australian actor. You've seen her most recently uh, in the drama A Place to Call Home. But you've also heard her voice on many, many TV commercials. She's one of the most popular voiceover artists in the country. And uh, she and I talk about what it was like to grow up in a solar-powered mud brick house on the outskirts of Armidale, what it was like to play lead in Hamlet at the age of 11, and what really goes on during a regular day at NIDA. Because I've always wanted to know. And it's really fascinating. You're really going to enjoy how Ariane Wynne looks at the world, her approach to success and failure. You might even get confronted, though, when she talks about her eating plants, but I'll let you... Uh, I'm getting ahead of myself. She's got that superb mix of uh, a charming demeanor and a forceful passion that makes great actors great. You're going to dig this. This is a lovely chat. It starts off with some snacks. She brought me snacks. Enjoy an afternoon with Ariane Wynne, Parks Lockwood. Ariane Wynne, what am I eating here? You're eating some lemon balls that I made this afternoon. They smell delicious. They're lemony. I hope they're delicious. They smell coconutty. Yes. Oh man. Is that a happy? That's a, that sounds like a happy chew. That's very happy. <laughs> I apologise to people listening for the sound of my mastication, but that's <laughs> good action. You can do amazing things with a blender. I, Look, you really can. I'm a fan of the blender. I would like. What I would like to do is I'm trying to figure out how to make a pedal-powered blender. Oh wow! And then you like right. you're cycling along. Because as, as a as a man who's conscious of his energy uh, footprint, footprint, yes, and and demands upon this world, mm. 
I have essentially a jet ski with a tub on top of it over there in my Vitamix. Oh, that's a sexy Vitamix. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's a very sexy. I have a Thermomix. Get out of here. And yeah, but I want a Vitamix. The See, Thermomix is a, next level. It is, but it doesn't blend as well as the Vitamix. Really? It really doesn't. I don't know. Like if that, that lemon ball would have been smoother in a Vitamix. People listening have tuned in to listen to us discuss <laughs> What it is to have a career in media, <laughs> you know, but it's how it is just, to be on a primetime drama. It's all about Vitamixes and Thermomixes. But it's all about yeah. the food processor you have at home. It is. <laughs> it's the secret to good acting and a successful career. It really, it truly is. Yeah. What Get out what you put in. And if you put in crap in, you're not going to get anything good out. That is very true. With a double-barreled last name, Ariane Wynn Parks Lockwood, welcome. Mm, thank you. To my home. Thank you. Um, you can find Ariane Wynn on Twitter at... A-R-I-A-N-W-E-N-P-L. That's where you can find her <laughs> on Twitter. And here you are. You're in my house. I'm in your house. I Pe- like your house. People, It's not actually mine. It's right. Oh, okay. That's people fine. know you from a few things. They know you from Underbelly. Yes. They know you from A Place to Call Home. Yes. But they may not know that you are also the voice behind some of their favourite TV commercials. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, I do voiceovers as well, which um, has been amazing just because, you know, as an actor a lot of the time you're not acting and so to have that as a backup is just brilliant. Um, and my husband, Marcello Fabrizzi, the dashing Marcello Fabrizzi, taught me how to do it. Well, I, I'm pretty sure that... I used to do voiceovers. I don't yeah. do them anymore. I, I would like to do them again. Um, I I did them for quite a while. I really enjoyed doing them. But a lot of people may not know what it's like to be a voiceover actor or to be a voice artist. It's a lot harder than I initially thought it was. When I started, um, I thought, you know, you just kind of, yeah, you, know, you get the script and you read it out and, yeah. Um, but what I learned was that actually there's a, there's like a melody to them. They're sort of a song and there's a formula that you need to follow in order to make it sound like a real ad. Otherwise it just sounds like, you know, Joe Blow from down the street talking into a microphone, which actually has become really popular and put a lot of voiceover artists out of work because Joe Blow can can do ads now as well. Well, that's the thing. I mean, we're sitting here talking into two uh, roadie procasters and a mm. Zoom H4N recorder, it's which... very sexy setup. When I started voiceovers in 94, mm. 5, you just couldn't record like this at no. home. The, it was the budgetarily... Budgetarily? Budgetarily. Fiscally yes. impossible <laughs> to have the kind of studio yeah. setups that you can do now. Well, I have a studio at home, so right. if I need to record something, I can do it. I mean, we... we um, lived in London for six months and while we were there, Marcello was still recording voiceovers for air back in Australia um, and we were recording them in our bathroom in London. I don't think the client knew that. but <laughs> I've done episodes of Bondi Rescue. I did seven seasons of Bondi Rescue as a voiceover artist. Yeah. I did episodes under desks in hotel rooms in yeah. New York, under a blanket, um, at a friend's house in the mountains in Colorado. <laughs> I once did my, my best one ever was I did an entire episode. It was now, what, 2007, seven years ago. Mm. I did an entire episode of Take 40 Australia under a blanket in a cupboard in a castle in, a in ca- Scotland. In a castle in Scotland. Did you just throw in a Scottish accent? 
anywhere in it just to kind I, of I did. to honor very I good. did very good I did and it was it was it was it was pretty amazing but it is a very interesting world voiceovers and people might be wondering how I mean I, unless you've really seen the film I Know That Voice, mm. which is the brilliant John DiMaggio film. I still haven't seen that. Everyone comes over to me and says, Holy you've got to see this film. It's and exceptional. Yes, I really Unless you've it. seen I Know That Voice, but that's a, that's a very different scene over there because mm. in the States you get paid residuals. <laughs> <laughs> so you do one, magic, ver- you do one Verizon voiceover for TV yeah. and that's 75K. Thanks very much. And you're set and you've got a house. That's well, my almost. year, you know. Yes. That's, that's, yes. that's your year done. So. How did you how did you get into voiceovers? Don't worry, we'll talk about acting and stuff. Oh, like that. Um so Marcello um he started in radio and became a voiceover artist through that. Um so he'd been doing it for years. Um and kind of just one day he said, Hey, do you wanna learn how to do this? So basically he <laughs> we sort of had a training montage where in one month he turned me into a voiceover artist. It right. was very stressful, um, because you know, I had no idea what I was doing when we started and, um, you know, working with someone you love can can have its interesting moments. Yeah, like <laughs> it's like teaching a girlfriend how to snowboard. You yeah. just don't do it. No, but we did it and it worked. <laughs> and, um, yeah, so what, what it got me to do actually was parrot the radio. Mm. So we just would have the radio on ads in the car all the time. And the moment an ad break finished, we'd be searching for the next ad break on another station, kind of the opposite of what most people do. Um, and I would just talk along like parroting and trying to match exactly the tone and everything. And and that's how I learned how to do it. And then it's very interesting when you get in there, when you actually get in the booth, because mm. the way it works in Australia with voiceovers is often when you'll hear the radio, you'll hear, hang on, the bloke selling me cold cuts is the same guy telling yeah. me to go to the speedway. What? <laughs> uh, because it's, is it still six scripts? Um, for radio it is, although I don't do that many radio variuses anymore. Anymore. Well, that, that was that's basically mm. how I started yeah. in radio various. So you'd sit in there and you'd honestly yeah, you'd you'd read do. 30 different reads. Back to back. Hard cells, soft cells, yeah. characters, you it's, name it. It's intense. And the weirdest thing is that really shocked me when I started was you just get the scripts and go. Mm. Like you don't get to, you know, have a practice run really or or learn them or go over them and try things out. You just got to read it and they're recording you. So it's quite exhilarating. Like once I got the hang of it, I really, I really love doing it now. And the thing about, the other thing about voiceover acting uh, and being a voiceover artist that I, I also really enjoy is they hire you in a way to be who you are, yeah, which is which is different, but but you sort of really have to find your voice. I mean, for a while there, I'm going to say like 2001 to early 2003, I worked I worked a lot. Yeah, um, I just happened to have that voice. Yeah, that, your voice that people is in fashion. wanted, and then people didn't want it's my voice amazing. anymore. Yeah, it's amazing how there are fashions with it. And and then I remember, and then I remember distinctly the day I was in a, a, a Footlocker uh, in. Oh, Chatswood or something That's a like shop, that. Isn't yeah, yeah. I was in in Chatswood or something. And I walked in and I'm listening. I'm like, I don't remember reading that. <gasps> oh, that's because it's not me. <gasps> and placed you. Well, it was someone who sounded like me because oh. my voice was sounding like people were booking me a yes. lot. And so they just got another guy that sounded like me. There's a saying um, oh, in this book written by one of the big voiceover artists in the States. It's like, who is, I think it's Joe Cipriano. Who is Joe Cipriano? Get me Joe Cipriano. I want a voice that sounds like Joe Cipriano. 
who is Joe Cipriano? Like that's the progression that you go through. Right. <laughs> yeah, you come in and out. But hopefully, I mean, you try and change and adapt and I don't know. I always remember my, um, we have a mutual friend and my ex-girlfriend, yes. Simone, uh, who is. Uh, She's think- like the number one female voice in Australia. Yes, she really is. Yeah. <laughs> She's the hardest working, She's hardest amazing. working and most successful female voiceover mm. artist in the country and she has been for some time now. Yeah. If you've got a Vodafone phone, that's <laughs> Simone. She says, hi there. Hi there. For sure. She's on the phone right now. <laughs> that's Simone. And uh, yeah, she and I were together for a long time and I, she studied acting like yourself yes. and I had to work way harder than than she did when I first started because I had to relearn how to breathe and I had to mm. learn how to, but she had all those all, all that, that skills. Training. So I'm sure that all that training really helped you. Absolutely. And in, in terms of knowing what your voice is capable of and learning breath control, all of the, you know, all of the voice classes, the endless voice classes at NIDA um, paid off in the booth. What's the most interesting direction you've been given? Oh, because often, yeah. I'll, I'll, let me just paint the picture. You'll yeah. often, and I don't want to get you into trouble, but in my experience, <laughs> you go into a booth and they've got you for an hour and say you're reading a TV commercial for a telco. I won't say which one. Um, and you walk in, there'll be the engineer that you work with. You sometimes work with this guy two or three times a week. We're your friends. All right, so you know this person. And you know the person that runs the studio. You say, g'day. And then you walk in and there's the uh, agency and then there's the client and there's a couch full of clients. Oh. Sometimes there's five or six people and they're, back they're there. they're all eating. They're always eating. I don't know why. Yeah. And you'll go in, you'll do the read and, you, I mean, if this, I've always been taught, like, if the script is written well, you don't really need direction. No. It'll direct itself. But sometimes they're not written well and then you're in there for two hours. Yeah. And... Yeah, that's quite, that can be quite intense. But I've often, and, and what's really, well, the other that's really interesting thing is when you, you whack the first read out, you do the first read and the engineer gives you that, gives you a nod yeah. and then they make you do 17 different more takes. And you go around in a circle. And then the engineer gives you a just... I'm just going to play something. And then, <laughs> oh, that's a really great take. And he, whisp- he whispers in a slate mic, that was your first take. <laughs> <laughs> it's often the way. Often but, the I mean, way. I think with these sorts of these campaigns, they're investing so much money in it, they've got to make sure that it's perfectly exactly the right thing that they wanted. Yeah. Um, what I do a fair bit is actually revoicing ads from overseas, uh, yeah. which is great because most of the work's done for you. So uh, I did a Magnum campaign for Magnum Five Kisses and um, that was revoicing the European ad. So I just basically copied the European lady. With their cadence. Yeah. Because that's what the client wants, right? That's what they want. So you've got this guide and it's kind of safe. Yeah. No one's panicking because it's been successful somewhere else. It's like that classic. And DDB overseas has has directed it. it Yeah. And that's, you know, in many ways um, it's, it's a... I'm not going to say there. It's a it's a it's a blessing to have those those kind of jobs. Yeah. Um, oh yeah, it's, but, it's wonderful. I was just thinking, my strangest direction I think was to make it sound thicker. Oh yeah. And I just have absolutely no idea how to make something sound thicker. I still don't know. Like what's thicker, <laughs> vocally speaking? <laughs> Let me just uh, just I mean, grow some more vocal cords real yeah, quickly. Yeah. <laughs> Just which, be a second. Which is very, which is real interesting. But I'm stoked you have a studio in your house. Yes. That's good. I do, um, 
I do bachelor voiceovers on this on this very this microphone very setup on this very microphone. Yeah, yeah um, cool. this, this is how I do it. Coming up next on the Bachelor, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all that, all that business. But um, so but that was the one thing we have in common that we yeah. both know. We both know someone that we both do voiceovers. I I was also. Uh, did you ever do any animation? Did you ever do a vo- voicing for yeah. animation? I haven't done that yet. I would love oh, to. You've would, got to do it. Oh my gosh, have you done? For two campaigns, mm-hmm. I was the voice of Coco the monkey. Oh, oh yeah. yeah, I was Coco the monkey, <gasps> but they wouldn't let me say the money line. What's the, the just like a the, chocolate milkshake only crunchy? They wouldn't let me say it. Is it because it was pre-recorded by someone else? It was a I don't know for that campaign they were getting someone else to do it. Because I think I know who does that now. Or who did that? The new Coco. Well, the older Coco. I was Coco two thousand two thousand two. Well, maybe I know the new Coco. You probably I'm do. Sorry. That's okay. We all have a club. Are you, are you okay? I'm fine. I'm good with it now. Good. I'm good. I'm good with it now. So, um, you come from a very special part of the world. I do. Could you tell the folks listening about where it is that you grew up? Ah, uh, well, I was actually just up there this weekend past, so it's very fresh in my mind. I grew up um, on a property that is just trees and kangaroos, so there's no farming going on. It's just um, kind of wilderness, um, 20 kilometres north of Armadale, New South Wales. So that's the New England region in the Northern Tablelands. They're not very inventive. They weren't very inventive when they came no. to naming stuff back then. It's like England, only it's new. <laughs> but then, I mean, I don't think it even has any bearing or relationship to New England in America either. I think they thought they were being original, but I don't know. It's not anything like England. Is at it at all. altitude? It's quite high, yeah. It, it was freezing up there this weekend. Yeah. Um, it snows. There was actually still frozen snow on the ground mm. when I was up there. And um, the house I grew up in is a bit of a strange house but wonderful. It's a solar-powered mud brick house that my parents built with their bare hands um, in the 80s. So Okay, hang on. Different. If your parents are building solar-powered mud bricks, yes. tell me about Tell me about that. How did they come? How did your parents come to be? We're out of here. We're going to go build a solar-powered mud brick house. Well, my mum grew up very, very isolated in a tiny little um, village called Langothlin, which is actually further north of, than Armadale, and she always wanted to return to that area. So in her twenties, she moved up to Armadale and she bought this block of land and she knew that she wanted to build a house there, but she needed someone to build it with. <laughs> um, and then she met my dad who just turned up on her doorstep um, one evening. She lived near the train station and I think she'd put up a poster at the train station back when it was safe to do things like this, um, that she was looking for a flatmate. And he arrived in town because he was going to the University of New England. Um, he's a soil scientist, so he was studying there. And he arrived on her doorstep um, and she went through his record collection the next day, decided he was okay, um, and they got together. <laughs> <laughs> Back when you could actually have like the, this physical manifestation yeah. of someone's, yeah. you know, the, you just judgment. No, no, yeah. oh, yeah, no, no, maybe. You can't do that anymore. Well, uh, did you play with those records when you were growing up? Were those records still around the house? Yeah, they were still around the house, although we didn't have a record player. What records were they? Uh, I mean, the classics, a lot of the Beatles, um, gosh, Fleetwood Mac, mm-hmm. lots of Fleetwood Mac, um, lots of classical music. 
Right. Grew up listening to, you know, lots of Mozart and Sibelius and Foray. So your father's a solar engineer. No, a soil engineer. A, a soil, soil engineer. Sorry, scientist, I'm a soil scientist. A soil scientist. Who lived in a solar-powered house. Yes. We used to call him a dirt doctor when we were kids uh-huh. just to tease him. We didn't. I mean, I think he didn't mind it. What, at what time did the solar power turn up? So the solar power was always there, but when we first were living there, when I was very little, it was not very advanced technology um, and it was very expensive. So we only had 12 volts of electricity. Most houses have 240 volts. 12 volts is not very much at all. It's a car battery. Um, yeah, pretty much. Um, so we had very weak lighting and we only had a black and white television. And so I used to watch Play School on a black and white television and like squint really hard and try and work out what colours different shades of grey were because they're always talking about colours on Play School. Uh-huh. And actually I used to watch Noni Hazelhurst yes. on Play School and, you know, she's my favourite on Play School and then I got to work with her. Yeah, so. we'll, we'll, we will get to that. Yeah. But what? So you're the kid that lives in the mud brick house yeah, I'm the with a black and white TV. <laughs> What's it like when you rock up at Armadale Public School? Oh, my gosh. Um, well, I went to a very little primary school, um, so it was kind of a little bit alternative at the primary school as well. It was Newling Public School, it's a gorgeous school, and I had wonderful teachers there. And um, So primary school was fine, although I was always really embarrassed about my house because it was so weird. Like, I just wanted to live in a normal house. I mean, I'm looking back, you know, I couldn't have asked for a better childhood, but um, my walls were bumpy. Like, they weren't straight. And that's not It's difficult normal. to put your Hanson posters on bumpy walls. Well, you, the blue tack doesn't stick to whitewash. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it's really, really hard. And also we were out of town. We were 20 kilometres out of town. So it was quite isolated. Um, and I think that isolation in a way was what fueled my imagination and what um, helped me become an actor. And also, like, I didn't watch a lot of television, so I read books instead used to sit up in this tree house after school and read books. Like, so I read Gone with the Wind before I saw the movie. I was that kind of kid. Um, that kind of kid doesn't exist anymore, I don't think. You really? I, I like to think <clears throat> they do. Oh, man. I like to think somewhere in the world there's someone Candy living. Crush is pretty exciting yeah. versus sitting in a tree house <laughs> reading. But if you could just take away the electricity, we'd all be a lot, um, a lot more imaginative, I think. Does it change the way that you look at consuming electricity now, the way you grew up? Um, I kind of relish using electricity now. Like I, I, I enjoy electricity um, but I, I have green power. I mean, I, you know, you pay that extra surplus. We're lucky it. that we can do that here. You can't do that in the States. Yeah, right. right. Yeah. Although I don't know. I mean, you're still supporting the, the electricity companies yeah. who are polluting the planet. I don't know how how good that is. Yeah. And um but yeah, it does change my perspective on the world definitely. Yeah. Um and I yeah, I just love that I had What that about time. when other kids from school came over to play? Did you have to give them a hey li- listen, my house Yeah, you is can't a- turn the lights on for too long and um if we run out of water and the toilet doesn't flush, don't worry, just you know, we can pump up some more water and just like Everything, like it was completely off the grid. So there was no water, no electricity. Um, we had a phone line, of course, but um, 
Yeah, I think like as much as I was kind of embarrassed by it, I think kids really enjoyed coming. You're describing my dream house, by oh, yeah, the right. way. <laughs> 20 kilometres from anywhere, yeah. self-sufficient and off the grid. Were yeah. you growing your own food as well? We had a veggie garden, yeah, um, and the potato patch and things like that. Yeah. Wow, man. It's dream home. Cool. <laughs> dream home. So at what point, I'm guessing if your folks were the kind to build a mud brick house powered by solar power when mm. their daughter says at 11, I want to go be in the Shakespeare play, they're like, yeah. sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They were very supportive and it was always, you know, if that makes you happy. Um, so, yeah, when I was 11 I played Hamlet in the school production of Hamlet because we had this really amazing teacher called Mr Grant who, you know, decided that 11 and 12-year-olds could put on a production of Hamlet. Why not? I mean, it was a it was a potted version and it wasn't all in Shakespearean text, although um, some of the speeches we did in full Shakespearean text. And I, you know, I did the sword fight with a sword that was like almost as high as me. Um, and we... On the night of the big night of the um, the Newling School concert, we were all very nervous and we actually forgot to do the to be or not to be scene, huh. <laughs> which is kind of pivotal but, um, you know. My, oh, my. So where would you be without Mr Grant? I don't think I'd be, I don't think I'd be doing what I'm doing today. Yeah. I mean, he, he wrote in one of my, um, one of my school books um, well, Ariane, when you're either going to be a writer or an actress. And I, to this day, remember the feeling of going, oh, wow, maybe I, maybe I could, you know. So, yeah, when you have wonderful teachers like that, it, it can't be underestimated. It really can't. And when I see industrial action in this country about teachers going on strike and stuff like yeah. that, Every one of those teachers could be that Mr. Grant. Yes, and and making that that possibility open up for a yeah. child. Not necessarily in a, just a creative field. Like yeah, there could be that anything. physics teacher that says to that kid, "You got this, buddy. Yeah, you just keep working, and boom, cure for cancer." Teachers are because physics students come up with cures for cancer. Nice one, cancer. <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't even pick up on that, but yeah, well, maybe they could contribute in some way, like. But this is it. You, yeah. You're talking about one person who made a difference, and I don't think I'm out of reach here because I know it happened mm. for me as well. Mm. One person that had enough faith in you, and that isn't your parent, as mm. an adult, that says, "Oh no, I think you sh- you can absolutely do this. Yeah. Go right ahead." Yeah. And the first time that possibility is open to you, like, what? That's yeah. even a job. Really? Yeah. It's, and I mean, teachers are a big part of my life. Most of my school friends have become teachers. Mm. My mum was a teacher before she retired. Um, my uncle's a teacher. My aunt's a teacher. My next-door neighbours were teachers. I mean, I don't know. I think Armidale has this amazing focus on education because they've got the university there. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, I just I think teachers are wonderful. How were the rest of your, uh, you know, how were the rest of the awkward teenage years, the, the 13, 14, 15? I, I don't think I ever was a teenager. And I kind of regret that now. I, I, I don't think I ever did anything that you could really call teenagery. What do you mean? You just went kid, adult? Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I just, I got very studious. Um, like I was a complete nerd, actually. And um, 
worked really hard and did very well in my HSE and then never ever used it because I became an actor and no one has ever ever looked at my results which kind of frustrates me I'd like I'd like some recognition please because I worked really hard but um I didn't need to because I ended up doing what Mr Grant said I should do and so after the Hamlet were there other productions that uh, you had access to? Did you folks go, oh, there's something going on here? Um, it wasn't so much them as, as me really loving it mm-hmm. um, and being that kind of shy kid who suddenly came to life with an audience Yeah, was still really shy but, you know, that introverted, extroverted thing. Um, and I joined this local youth theatre group called Stage One Theatre for Young People run by another amazing mentor teacher called Astrid Blake Um and, yeah, did productions with them. We did Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe and I played Lucy and we did The Country Wife, a bit of William Wychley restoration comedy and um, we did Charlotte's Web, you know, just really big, grand, epic productions that the local townsfolk would come and see and it was terribly exciting. And, you know, every play that I did, I fell in love with someone in the play. And so it was like it was doubly exciting to be backstage. There's something about backstage. That's actually how I met and fell in love with my husband uh-huh. was backstage in another production of Hamlet many years later. Um, yeah, it's kind of it's magical back there. It is. I don't know. When I was a kid in, uh, in doing high school musicals, that was most, I mean, I went to an all-boys school, so it was the only time I got to be around girls. Yeah. And there's something about being backstage in the in darkness. The darkness and you've got to be quiet. Whispering, standing close to each other so you can hear each other. Yes, and you just stand a little bit closer than you need to and talk a little bit softer. And it's a theatre, so we hug a lot. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, and you've got to do warm-ups and you've got to give each other massages before the show and after. (laughs) 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 So uh, do you remember you mentioned the introvert-extrovert? Yeah. You mentioned standing on stage. Do you remember when you first got that bug? Do you remember when you first got bit when you stood and saw all those faces looking back at you and it felt... Oh, what's this? I think it I think it was Hamlet. I mm. think it was yeah, that and that buzz afterwards of yeah. people coming up to you and seeing you in a completely new light. Yeah. And and sort of seeing a different side of you that they'd never seen mm. before. I mean, which for me was, you know, a 30-year-old Danish prince, which is kind of very much a different side to an 11-year-old schoolgirl. <laughs> but um that's why I love acting is is finding those different parts of yourself, uh-huh. um, and so getting that recognition as a as a young child made me very. I think very I was. Happy. I think I was nine or ten. I think. Yeah, yeah the Our Lady of the Rosary School Hall. I know that in Brisbane, and yeah. it was uh, it was the first drug I ever took standing yeah. on stage. And, it sure is a drug, and and the best drug I ever took, and yeah. I've. <laughs> Measuring that against, let's just say I've been in the field and on a couple of tests. Um, but there's nothing once you've been bit. Yeah, you you either stand up there and go, "This is the worst. Get me the hell off this stage," or you yeah. stand up there going, oh, "I'm alive. I'm so alive. I'm closer to the person I was born to be than yes. I've ever been before. Yeah. This is perfect." And that feeling of of the audience as a beast that you are somehow taming and. And the energy coming at you and, you know, the, the way a room changes yeah. with the scene. I mean, I, I don't believe in all of that stuff really, but that, that energetic 
magic that happens. I, I can't. I often wonder what it's like to be. I once saw um, possibly I was blessed to see prob- probably the one of the best people in the world at being on stage. Mm. I saw Robbie Williams hold oh. 40,000 people at the Sydney Football Stadium in the palm of his hand. In the wow. palm of his hand. Yeah. And I was like, oh, there's maybe three guys in the world that can do that. Mm. It's maybe. By yourself. Yeah. Sure, oh. he had the band and the lights and everything, but when the band and the lights and everything stopped, he's just standing out there in the middle of the stage. And everyone who was there on the night will, or anyone that's ever seen that guy play would definitely agree that, that yeah. it's like, all oh, right, you're one of the few people on the planet that can do that. I can't imagine what that feels like. Yes. And that many people too. I mean, oh, I just have a heart attack, I think. <laughs> My goodness me. Yeah, um, right. So this kind of all escalated. At what point, I mean, I don't know if you went to this kind of high school, but was there a pressure to, look, you're going to have to finish high school and go to university, you're going to have to do this, you're going to have to do that. What it, happened? There wasn't a pressure externally. I, I think I put all the pressure on myself um, because... I don't know, I liked academia. That was sort of the other side of me. Um, so, you know, I did maths and chemistry and things like that and um, and then I did, you know, French and art and four-unit four English and drama and I was kind of a little bit torn in two by those things. And so, I, you know, I applied for both NIDA and this really intensive English um, degree um, and I didn't get into NIDA but then I decided I didn't want to do the English degree. I wanted to. Um, Hang on a sec. So NIDA. First time I didn't get in. NIDA is the National Institute of yes. Dramatic Art yes, here in Australia. Sorry, Today it's a acting school of enormous repute yes. and it has produced pretty much every one of the famous Australian actors that everybody knows. Along with Whopper. Along with Whopper. Say. Well, yeah. come on, let's be fair. <laughs> but you obviously had your heart set. On, and I'm guessing you went from success to success to success in, yeah. in high school in yeah. acting. What was it like to get, you know, you would have auditioned for NIDA that would have been very confronting. Mm. What was that like? It, um, the first time I auditioned, I was so naive. I mean, I think I was very naive and countryish for a very long time. Um, so I, I don't know, I don't think I quite realised what it was I was wanting to get myself into. Um, and I'm really glad I didn't get accepted that first year because it's a really full-on thing to do and I think it's really important to know yourself before you go into an environment where you're looking at really changing that person. Um, So I didn't know who I was really um, when I first graduated from high school and I was 17. So they they said, look, go out and get some life experience, Um, work with people who are more experienced than you and come back Um, because... I'd been in Armadale and I'd, you know, played the lead role in a lot of productions and um, I was kind of maybe not being exposed to that many more experienced actors than myself. Mm-hmm. So I, I took their advice and I did that and I did a production of Hamlet at the Bondi Pavilion not far from here. Yeah, it's about 800 <laughs> metres that way. And, um, and that was wonderful. I played Ophelia. And it was my first professional production. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So hang on. So you're 17. You've moved from Armadale. Yeah, that was scary. What was it like living in Sydney? Were you by yourself? Um, I was by myself. I stayed with family and then um, friends of family. Um, 
but I got mugged on my doorstep oh. in Redfern like in the first month. Redfern's not the ace part of town. No, I, just, it's, we'll I point, didn't Point know this that. out to everybody. Yeah. <laughs> I, I um, didn't know anything and, yeah, I, it was really scary. Like it was very traumatic mugging and I, they, they bit me. Oh, <laughs> like goodness. it was awful. Um, and um, so that was like that was my, you know, uh, rapid awakening to the realities of the world. That's some of the life experience Nida yes. was talking about. Yes, right. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, it was a big shock. I didn't know how the train system worked. I didn't know what you did with your ticket when you got to the, I mean, I was, yeah. you know, I could. Did you stay down here or did you just for the length of production? I stayed down for the length of the production and was planning to go back to Armidale and then um, I got an agent which I didn't expect to. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't even know what an agent was. Yeah. Um, and then I kept trying to go home because I hadn't officially moved out of home, you know, um, and I, I, I didn't, I couldn't because I kept getting auditions. Nice. Which is great. Yeah. So I kind of unofficially moved out of home. Right. When I was 17. Yeah. And then how long did it take to get into NIDA? So the next year right. I got in. So you um, turned back around again. Yeah, and right. meanwhile doing that production of Hamlet I met the man who I was to marry. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was all worth it. There you go. Mm. Now I've never been to NIDA. Mm. I've Have you been in the building? I've been in the big theatre, yeah. the big new theatre. It's a very imposing building. Yeah. What's a, I mean, you hear all about this place. Mm. What's what's like a what's it we touched on voice exercises and mm. movement exercises. What's it what's it like a week like there? What's what's so special about it? Um I think the intensity is very much a part of what creates um a good work ethic in the actors that come out of NIDA. Um the school that I went to is a completely different school to what it is now. The all of the teaching staff have completely changed. Um I had a difficult time at NIDA. Um, I think I I don't respond well to stress. And picked I'm a much, hell of a career, darling. Well, yeah, <laughs> but yeah, this is true. Um, stress and also kind of aggression. I can't handle in terms of when you're working with someone, I, I think kindness is always going to get a better result. Mm-hmm. So there's there was a certain mentality of if I push this person far enough into a place where they're really uncomfortable, they will have a revelation and a breakthrough. And that just didn't work for me. So that I found very difficult. Um, but it was still incredible. I mean, it, it, you learn so much and in particular they had Alexander Technique classes and Alexander Technique, I don't know if you know it. Um, the stuff that I don't do involves standing straight. It involves standing straight but not so much straight as coming into your spine and, mm-hmm. you know, um, I'm sitting up straight as I say this thinking of my old Alexander teacher but it's a very dynamic and um, natural way to use your body and for a performer it's just incredible. Yeah. So skills like that that I still use today um, and that. Is it an intense schedule at night or is it yeah, like well, eight in the morning kind of nine stuff? Nine to six every day, five days a week. Sometimes you had to be there till like 10.30 at night if there was a show on and you had to be there on the dot at nine. Right. So, yeah. <laughs> Plus with all the other things that go on with everybody that's moving out of home and being fancy good-looking actors all in a very oh, small we, environment together. We weren't, we weren't fancy good-looking actors at night. 
we were drama students and we didn't have any money and we ate too much tuna and um, we smelt and <laughs> it, wasn't, it wasn't cool. It Come wasn't on. glamorous. Come on. We were sweaty. There's the late night. We were very sweaty. There's the late night talking and watching old original Prince of Olivier work. Oh, yes, you know, there was that. There's that all was that very, stuff. And wearing berets. There Being was a bit of beret. Very earnest. Was there beret work there on your was, behalf? I did a bit of beret wearing, yep. <laughs> Yep, I did. If you're not, if you're gonna wear a beret, it's yeah. when you're a drama student yeah, yeah. at NIDA. and black, lots of black. Yes, <laughs> leotards. Oh right. Yes. On the train in the leotard. Once or twice, to my shame. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you got movement classes. You're like, yeah. I couldn't really couldn't I care. I really am tired right now. You know, Olivier went very late last night. I'm gonna oh. just gonna get on the train in my leotard. Now, is it? Is it like film school where they, you know, I've got a mate that's at a film school here and, and they're. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe FDA approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Want to teach your kids financial literacy, but not sure where to start? Greenlight can help. With Greenlight, parents can keep an eye on kids' spending and saving, while kids and teens use a card of their own to build money confidence. As a parent, you can send instant money transfers, set up chores, automate allowance, and more. It's a convenient way to run your household. Customized to your family's needs and the easy way to raise financially smart kids. Get started with Greenlight today and get your first month free at greenlight.com slash ACAST. Very much. They press and they push and they must, they say, you got to watch like at least three films a week. Oh, yeah. And we want reviews and we want, you yeah. know, to no, identify no. shots and everything, everything. And that's extracurricular to yeah. the work. Yeah, an incredible amount of work. Just, you're just working all the time. Um, and, it's interesting that I think was very similar to what being on series television was like in that it is just your life and it's everything and there's not a moment to really take a break uh-huh. because there's always more that you can be doing um, and if you do more it will be better. I mean, yeah, work-life balance is something that I'm still working out. Right. Um, but that kind of focus from being at NIDA and the ability to just keep going when you're dead tired I think really serves you well once you're on a set and it's, you know, the 11th hour of shooting and you're, you're melting. Is there, a lot of, uh, is there a lot of stage time at NIDA? Yes, a lot. When I was there there wasn't as much film and television work um, but since then Di Drew has um, started up the film acting sort of department there and it's incredible. I've been in um, and done some workshops with them and it's just I want to go back and do her classes because I think it's such an important skill to have as well as the theatre. All right. So NIDA is mostly... It was. When I was there it was mostly theatre. Right. Yeah. Mostly theatre acting and and not much to transfer because there's a big... People may not understand there's a 
big difference between theatre acting and, yes. and television acting. Yes, theatre acting is you can see my entire body yes. the entire time and I have nowhere to hide on this stage and I'm going to stand out here for, for 10 minutes. And I'm going to speak quite loudly. and So people in the back can hear yes. me. Where television or film acting, film acting particularly is like. I moved my left eyeball. You can you see you, you can see from under my eyebrow to the top of my clavicle mm. and I'm 40 feet high. Yeah. On a wall in a dark room. It's quite different. So yeah. every single thing that I do is accentuated a gajillion times. So, mm. yeah, two really different. different things. Yeah. And I'd um, mostly done theatre my whole life and then did, you know, a bunch more theatre at night because you do like classes of voice, movement, singing in the morning and then you rehearse a play in the afternoon. Uh-huh. Um, so lots and lots of plays. Right. It's wonderful. Right. Um, and the chance to play lots of characters that you'd never be cast as in real life. So uh-huh. I played um, in the wood demon Maria Vasilyevna, who's like 90. Uh-huh. You know. More so than an 11-year-old playing Hamlet? Yeah, that was harder. Because <laughs> when I was 11, I didn't know better that there was any reason that I couldn't be Hamlet. Whereas when I was, you know, 20 playing 90, I was like, okay. <sighs> Did Mr. Grant ever found out, find out that you went to NIDA? Oh, yeah. No, we've kept in touch. Oh. Oh, that's the country, Australia. Yeah. <laughs> now, what about the network of people that you met there? Do you still, how much do they play a role in your career now? Um, sadly, not as much. We don't, we sort of don't see each other as much as I would mm-hmm. like. Um, there are a few people that I'm still really close with, though, like Miranda Tapsell, star of the Sapphires and um, Redfern now and, you know, love child. She is a very dear friend and um, she's phenomenal. But it's not like, uh, say, for example, I mean, I'm only uh, kind of exposed to the acting schools that are in Los Angeles, which Mm. it seems that, you know, you spend 12 weeks with people and I've done a bit of UCB stuff over there Mm. and it seems very much like by the second week people are wrangling their funny or die shoot, you know, like let's all get together and let's all shoot something and I know a guy who knows a guy who knows a guy. Initially, like, I mean, because I've graduated in 2008, so it's a little, little way behind me now. Gosh, six years. It's crazy. Come on. <gasps> what? You're talking to a 40-year-old. Six what? years was yesterday. <laughs> um, but certainly when, like, when I first graduated, um, we did a lot of stuff all together. Uh-huh. And Marcello and I made a film called The Filmmaker, which was this very silly mockumentary about a filmmaker who makes really crap films. Um, and they're supposed to be really crap. Um, and we basically cast it entirely out of my NIDA class, mm-hmm. which was great. <laughs> We had a lot of lot of fun. Um, you can find Arianwen on Twitter uh, at Arianwen A R I A N W E N P L is where she is. Um, just started tweeting. It's it's a whole new world. It's pretty great, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's a pretty exceptional way to be in touch with people. It is. I really I really do dig it. And yeah. you'd be surprised how many podcast conversations with people that I otherwise would never have met have all come straight oh, out of Twitter. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. It's so much better than working with publicists and stuff like that. Yeah, because you just you're hooked in. They follow you, you follow them. You know, yeah. chat, chat, chat. Hey, you want to come and do a podcast? Sure. Sure. And then <laughs> next thing you know, they're sitting in my house. They really exist. They're yeah. not just. No, it really not happens. Just on the computer. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's it's really great. Now we mentioned earlier, people would know you on screen. Uh, you played Dolly Green in Underbelly, yeah. Underbelly, Underbelly, I should say, yeah. and Olivia Bly. Yes. Is there more an Australian last name than? <sighs> Oh, oh, sorry, Bly. colonial Australia yes. last name than Bly oh in A gosh. Place to Call Home. You're working with some pretty heavy hitters oh, on those shows. Now, yeah. <laughs> particularly 
uh, as you mentioned earlier, a long way from watching a 12-volt black and white telly of Noni Hazelhurst. Now, let's just paint the picture for folks. Now, Noni Hazelhurst was a very serious and quite edgy dramatic actress. Oh, sexy. Hot. She was in a (laughs) – look it up. There's an exceptional film she made with a guy called Colin Friels. in 1982, it was a film uh, called Monkey Grip yes. when heroin was really smashing its way through Australia and really decimating an entire generation, much as ICE is doing now. Mm. And she and Colin Friels have this tumultuous, she basically, she has a relationship with a junkie. And then a, f- a few short years later, she's on kids' television. <laughs> yeah. uh, not even a few short years later. Family friendly. Family friendly kids' yeah. television. Hot Noni Hazelhurst, who I so had the hots for, is on Play School every day yeah. singing songs yeah. with Warren the Piano Player. And you're watching it yeah. on a, a small 12-volt solar-powered black and white television in a yeah. mudbrick house in Armadale. Yeah. Shoot forward 20 years. And you're on set with her. I know. It was what, surreal. What was that like? It was so surreal. Um, she is one of those people who when they smile at you, it's like just warmth just kind of rises through your entire being. Like she's she's an incredible person as well as an actress and... Um, she really looked after all of us younger cast members. Like I remember the first um, the first time we all got together, we had this big cast dinner and she came up to Abby and Aldo and I. David wasn't there. But um, she said to us, you know, if there's anything that you need or you don't know or that's difficult, just come and see me and I'll, you know, I'll sort it out for you. Just anything at all, day or night, whatever. Um, so she's... So so generous. Well, let's just talk about that for just a second. This yeah. is this is a woman who, as we just mentioned, is is very 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 well respected in the yeah. Australian acting community. And if you turn up on set and someone said, um, "Just don't look Miss mm. Hazelhurst in mm. the eye or just, call her Noni," yes. okay, she will speak to you when you're on the scene. <laughs> You'd be like, "Okay, okay cool, sure. yeah, of no problem," yeah. and no one would even blink. No one would even question it. People would say, yeah. "What's it like working with her?" You'd go, "Well, she's very dedicated." Yes. You would dare say anything about yeah. it, like, sh- and no one would say a thing if right. she acted. People, she, people don't have to be as lovely as they are, and that no. was what made Place to Go Home. That's so astonishing special. for her to be like that. Yeah. it's incredible. And did you take her up on that offer? I did. There were times when I was really struggling, particularly toward the end of the second season when my storyline was just so heavy that I was kind of freaking out personally just dealing with all the stuff that was going on for Olivia. Um, And she really helped me through that. So, yeah, I have a great debt of gratitude to her. Now... I'm interested to know this. Mm. As someone who's done so much acting as yourself, you can visualise running a 100 metres race Mm -hmm. and your heart rate will go up and your muscles will twitch, okay, because your body doesn't quite know the difference between something that's imagined. Mm. You know, your body reacts, Mm. all right. So when you are bringing up authentic emotion and replicating authentic emotion. It's real. Yeah, 
what's it like at the end of the day? Do you have to go, hey, everybody, that was just me pretending. Like, do they teach you at night how to decompress from this kind of stuff? Like, I'm sure that's a, a psychological minefield. Yeah, it is. It really is. And there probably was a class on that and I can't remember it or I wasn't paying enough attention <laughs> because it really, it with Olivia, it was really hard. Because if you're a character actor, if you're just the guy, like if you're Owen Wilson and you're Owen Wilson yeah. in every movie, it's not going to happen, yeah. all right? But if you're, but you when, know. you know, your husband's in electroshock therapy, you've got a baby inside you that's just died. I mean, it it was really heavy stuff. And I mean, I say that kind of those those things kind of flippantly because that's how I guess I deal with yeah. the the reality of it, which was that for six months at the end of last year, my life was Olivia's life and it was very painful. Um, and I think that's something that coming through that I have learned about myself as an actor and as a performer that I need to find a way to switch off because I didn't and it was a bit intense. Right. Um, what was your husband like when you came home from set? Oh, poor, poor thing. I mean, I would, because also because the workload was quite intense, so I would come home from set, you know, I've, I would have whole days on set where I just cried all day because, you know, you have to shoot two hours for, you know, a few minutes. So if in that scene it's a really traumatic scene, add that up over a day, um, I think my tear ducts got overactive <laughs> by the end of it. Right. Because actually there was just so much heavy material um, and it reached the point where I was just so sick of having to be all upset that the moment I got a happy scene I was just elated mm-hmm. and, you know, I'd walk around set a different person because... I got to smile as Olivia today. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> um, but he was wonderful. I mean, I would come home and he would have a hot bath ready and dinner and, you know, and then I'd shut myself up with my lines for the next day and um, go That's through it all proper, again. proper husband material oh, right yeah. there. He's a keeper. Bathtub, <laughs> dinner, yep. leave you alone. It's nice no, work, no, buddy. Listeners just, um, nice work. Right thing Foot do. rubs? No, not foot rubs. No? No. I don't know why no foot rubs. Surely he was part of the backstage massage party. Come on. Yeah, well, yes. <laughs> but that was a long time ago. We've okay. been together for 10 years. Maybe <laughs> maybe I've run out of massage coupons. So what did, what did when you went to Noni and you said and you were struggling with mm. the, the, the depth of the material, I mean, mm. you know, I've, I've discussed this with an actor on this show before and that to authentically bring up an emotion that people will believe when you watch it on the telly mm. as an actor some people really have to bring that emotion up yeah. and relive it. I'm one of those. Right. Yeah. Um, and especially if your storyline is involving, you know, stillbirths and death and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. What did Noni say to you about how to deal with that? What advice did she give you? She has this wonderful um, little just nugget of advice where she says just find yourself in the other person and just breathe them in. And that's all you have to do. Um, and when you're doing that, it's not about you. And I think the moment it becomes not about you, you're sort of free in a way. So it becomes about the other actor, the other character. And then when you walk away from that scene, you can leave all of that stuff with the other character and you're not carrying it yourself, mm. if that makes sense. Sounds like it's just as strong a muscle 
that you have to work up though yes. to get that separation. Yes, I think so. So you can, I mean, you don't have a family at the moment. You don't have kids at the no. moment, do you? Right. So it sounds like the sort of thing that by the time kids turn up, you yeah. want to hope that you, <laughs> you wouldn't yeah. want to. I mean, it wasn't, it, uh, maybe I'm making it seem worse than it was, but I, I just noticed within myself that I wasn't myself mm. the way that I'm normally happy and bubbly, you know, doing those scenes took a toll. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, I would like to um, work out a way to, to still be as engaged and still be right there in that moment really experiencing those feelings yeah. but then to really be able to, to switch off. And I think this is the key to that is being kind to yourself, mm-hmm. really kind to yourself and knowing that this job that we do is... It is intense and it does demand more of you than, you know, the regular nine-to-five stuff and so therefore maybe you need to go and treat yourself to that yoga class or meditate or, you know, whatever it is that that allows you to switch off. Mm. But at the same time, we're not digging ditches here. No. <laughs> that's, that's the other thing Tony would say. Um, if, if any of us ever, like... Complained, and sometimes we did to our, you know, to our shame. We, if it was a really hard day, we would have a bit grumpy. She'd say, "Well, just be grateful that you're not working in a factory." <laughs> yes, Miss Hazelhurst. <laughs> and then it became this thing, you know. We'll send you back to the factory. Go back factory. <laughs> if you don't like it? Go back factory. <laughs> so, I mean, I've had the experience of when your show doesn't get renewed, yes. and that. Oh, sucks. It really sucks. Especially if you've got a mortgage. <laughs> yep. Yep. Which happens. Which I don't, but yeah. Well, it, it, it sucks. sucks. Yeah. It really sucks. There's no other word for it. There's no other word for it. No. Did Noni have any words for you? Because I'm sure she's been on many productions that have come mm. and gone and come and gone. Well, that, you know, it happens and it's nothing, it's not a reflection on us or the show. Yeah. Um, there are financial realities beyond anyone's control. And that's just what it was. Um, So I think, you know, we were all so proud of that show. And I think the second season was better, you know, even better than the first. And we poured our heart and soul into it. Mm -hmm. And the way that people responded to it, I think, was testament to that. I mean, the, the fans, the devastation of the fans at the show not being renewed for a third season is just phenomenal to behold like there's a web um a page on facebook save a place to call home with you know thousands of likes and petitions and um i mean bless them it's it's so heartwarming to have that response mm. even though i don't think it's possible once that decision's been made to, no, to overturn it yeah it's done but um yeah it was lovely even though the show isn't coming back mm. What are your thoughts on the state of TV drama in Australia? I love the fact that this show was attempted, that A Place to Call Home was made in the first place. I think that is a real milestone in that it's, well, firstly, it's pretty high-budget Australian drama. Secondly, it's... Australian drama exploring issues of our past that are not so comfortable. It's not just feel-good, happy, um, easy family drama, which has its place and is wonderful, 
But a place to go home, you know, it's it's about issues of homophobia, of racism, anti-Semitism. Um, you know, it, it's it explored the darker side of who we are and I think that's really powerful and not in a crime way. You know, we've done a lot of exploring our, our underbelly <laughs> as such. Um, so I think that's really wonderful and even though we you know we're not continuing with it I think it's a miracle that it came into being and that's testament to Bevan Lee who's you know who's um little child it is really the, the show it's it's him poured into what 13 characters and um I think that's really positive mm-hmm. I think that the reality television situation is still a problem um but you know, there's there are dramas happening and there are dramas happening with great roles for women too, which is great. Tell me again about the reality television problem. I'm sorry. that was... No, 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 I'm interested. Well, <laughs> it's a problem for actors Yeah. because there's less work for us Yeah. and that's tough. Mm-hmm. And um, the more networks can get the ratings that they want through the cheaper means of, um, reality television, non-scripted mm-hmm. television, even though I think a lot of it is a bit scripted, um, the more that they can do that, the less they're going to want to make the more expensive drama. Mm-hmm. And, you know, reality television is entertainment and that's great and people love that and, I mean, I don't understand it personally but mm-hmm. um, I just wish there was more of a balance. I feel like we are tipping a little bit towards the more financially viable option mm. that doesn't involve real story and doesn't involve jobs for actors. Right. I would say to you there is real story in uh, in reality television, some reality television more yeah, than others. when it's done well. Yeah, yeah some reality television more than others. Yeah. Um, there's a particular brand reality television that... that the trash reality that you see on cable quite a lot yeah. in the states, where it's it's really it's like five thousand bucks an episode. Yeah. Looks like it's made for. <laughs> it's like <laughs> super. Cheap. But look, I do I do understand. And this is someone who's made a career out of reality television. I'm put, sorry. No, 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 no. <laughs> I think it's really important to say that reality television has revitalised an industry and, yeah. and put a roof over my head and put yeah. food in my fridge. And it's lovely roofs. For over a decade. Uh, <laughs> again, I don't own it. Um, <laughs> but I would I, I agree with you in that uh, the thing that is interesting, I've spent a lot of time in, in countries that I've spent a lot of time in countries where English isn't the first language, mm. um, countries particularly Israel and the Netherlands. Mm. And countries with a smaller population but a language that only they speak. So when it comes to drama, they could buy NCIS and dub it Mm. or they could make their own. And a lot of the time they tell their own story because they have such a strong cultural identity that is separate from the American and the British um, television that comes out. reinforced by the language barrier. It truly is. It's reinforced by the language barrier. So they are kind of almost by default in a position where they just tend to make more scripted Mm. Um, shows and they tell more stories from that angle. We're in this country, we have access to, we can just, for the a, a portion of the cost of producing an original scripted series, we can buy yes. a week's worth of 
stuff from the States or from the UK. And so when it comes to putting the Australian stuff on, it's it's kind of easy to put on. I mean, I'm, I don't program or own a network or know how to program a network I don't, or make financial decisions around a network. But I guess, you know, I'm just... Yeah. Oh, I, I guess that's kind of why it kind of works out, particularly in this country where it's stuck in this place between two cultures, America and the UK. Yes. Both of them produce exceptional scripted content. So when it comes time to produce Australian scripted content, it's like, well, yeah. Why, yeah. why don't we make something else? <laughs> yes. No, that's very true. I mean, I, I think I, I just look at reality television as one more job that I'm not going to get. <laughs> and I get a little bit... Um, a little bit faster. No, that's fine. No, you go right ahead, and <laughs> as you should, as you should, and as is your right. And I'm here to tell you that you know the there's two projects that I really want to get up that are both scripted, they're both mm. drama, and I'd that love you've to get them. No, 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 they're two books I want to adapt. Ah, oh. uh, we'll have to talk about it when the oh, thing's not yes. rolling. But yeah, I, I think it's I think it's really important that Australian drama gets made. And this is someone who loves reality, mm. loves non-scripted, is developing non-script. That whiteboard over there has got a whole new show on it that oh, I'm working wow. on. Turned into the wall. Well, I had steal some, your ideas. Had some people here the other no, I just had people <laughs> here the other day, and there's just all shit all over and post-it notes all over it. Um, but I think it's super, super important that we have scripted drama yeah. in this country, telling Australian stories, mm. and uh, from that dramatic angle and. I would, I would like to see. I don't know if you can start some sort of quota system or, or have, you know. Well, there's the Australian content yeah, quota for for television, but, but that reality comes under that. I know. Yeah. I think that's something that needs to really change. That's what I'm saying. So yeah. I would. I think it's because it's different. Yeah. It's just here's different. the thing. You can run. We're speaking of Noni, Hale, Noni Hazelhurst. Mm. We could go back and watch the season of the Sullivans that she did in the 70s, mm. which was telling a story of Australia in the 20s. Yeah, I think. So. I think. Yeah. And we would go. Oh, that's what the people in the 70s thought of Australia 50 years ago. Mm. What yes. an incredible cultural stamp! Yes, right there. But if we were to watch a game show from the seventies, um, or if there was such a thing as non-scripted show, it wouldn't quite tell the story quite so well. I don't think. I think yeah, it's, that's it's an interesting. Way you know, it's so important. Delineate. I think it's so important that we see what we think we look like mm. from a dramatic and who angle. We are, yeah, and, and it's really important to have that Australian story told. Yeah, I always think it's fascinating that. Thing of with period drama, the way that you can tell what era a period drama was made by the flavour of the the decade, you know, like um, Pride and Prejudice, the BBC Pride and Prejudice looks a bit nineties. You know, it's the Colin Firth one. Yeah, it's yeah. Regency England, but it looks a bit nineties. <laughs> um, so I just think that's really funny. Like you're trying to be all accurate, and I wonder if ten, you know, ten twenty years from now. A place to call home will look a bit, you know, a bit 2012. You're right. I, I wonder. Well, so what are you going to do about changing the state of Australian drama? You know, what are you and your husband putting together? What do you well, got cooking? We're not. We're not. Um, you and so Bevan. Much- are you gonna, you're going to go pitch Bevan <laughs> the next season. What are you going to oh, do? I would love to. Um, yeah. Well, we, Marcello and I, are actually working on a stop motion animation. Oh, know. because, you know, you just like to do things really hard. Yeah, because we're, we're, we're suckers for punishment um, <laughs> and we both have obsessive compulsive advantage. So, <laughs> yeah, we're, 
We're working on a little stop-motion animation about a prawn called Prawn. Nice. He's a prawn. Um, and, I mean, that's, you know, it's not Australian drama. I'd say it's Australian comedy webisode. But it's still contributing something to prawn. hope. Um, Until you get picked up by FX and you can make a whole season. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, uh, <laughs> Which will totally happen. <laughs> so is is Los Angeles in your in your sights? What's going? What's it happening? Is, yes, yeah? um, it's a sad thing that you do. I guess have to do that. You know, I, I always feel a bit guilty when I talk about leaving Australia because I feel like there is a bit of a brain drain that happens in this country be, just because we are so small. Um, not that I'm calling myself a brain, but you know what I mean. <laughs> like people have to leave in order to maybe get that recognition back here sometimes or or just to have enough work. I mean, I think my casting is often quite specific, so I'm not suitable for everything. Um, and there's you know, there are roles over there that I really would love to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, probably at the end of this year we're going to try things over there for a bit. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Well, good, good on you because... I think everybody gets to a point in their career when they just want to, I don't know, you want to see how you go at the next level. Yeah, that's it as well. You want to test yourself against the world. bigger and brighter and scarier and amazing. Um, You want to test yourself up against the world. You want to see. It's not to say that we don't do world-class content here in Australia. I mean, Josh Thomas... uh, Got third season pickup, and they haven't yes. even finished shooting the second season. I, I love this. I love please like so yeah, right. So <laughs> that's not to say that you can't make great world class content mm. from Australia. You absolutely can, mm. um, but sometimes you know. Well, I want to be able to do both. I, yeah. My idea would be, you know, sometime here, sometime there, back and forth, mm-hmm. get very comfortable in economy on Virgin, and um, just. <laughs> Live between two countries. I mean, that's what you do, isn't I've it? I've been doing it yeah. for quite a while. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ten years now. Yeah, right. Yeah, it's been a while. Do you have like your your whole flight kind of planned out? Do you, do oh, you have yeah. like the special uh, cushion or the look? You know? We've been sitting in this chair for one hour and six minutes. All right, twelve hours and fifty three more minutes, and we'll be in LA. It's just sitting in a chair. Yeah. It's really not hard. No, it's not. You just get in, sit down. Do you do, you do anything special though? Like, no. I'm planning on having like this whole kit. No. Where there's like an inflatable cushion for my legs. The less you think about and, it, like, the easier eye it is. And, no. No. It's 13 hours, 14 hours of your life. It's very easy. It's really easy. Yeah, watch some movies. You get on a plane, you sit down. You watch a movie, you fall asleep, you wake up, you watch another movie, you eat some breakfast, you get off the plane. What's the purpose of your visit? You're there. (laughs) That's a really scary question when they ask you that. Get it straight, man. You don't want to fuck that one up. <laughs> right. I have my visa very soon and I won't have to. Oh, really? Oh, if you've got a visa, you just roll straight through. Yeah, I know. <laughs> um, but it's, but it's, it's great, you know. And the thing is, though, that I would say to you about going to Los Angeles, it's, uh, it, it's, it's very much with you, I guess it's with actors, it's a little easier because there is that the industry of casting and, mm. you know, that that is there is a kind of uh, machine that it's, works. It's a big, you just step into it and yeah. you can. There's a machine that works to get you in things. But <laughs> for what 
the kind of TV the art that I make, the non-scripted mm-hmm. stuff, it's very much about attachment and it's very much right. about people that you know. So it's very, it's it's not just who you are and what you know. Yeah. It's who knows what you know, and that's a that's a, oh wow yeah. And yeah. so the whole thing about LA, the whole thing of like you're always in a meeting, you're always in a meeting. When you're meeting people, you're always meeting people. And what, you know, I know you've been over there before, but mm. I guess what I found quite, what I find refreshing about being there is that when you talk about, oh, you know, I'm looking at doing this, this, uh, this, this show on the other side of that whiteboard, mm. um, oh, I'm looking at doing this thing. Oh, really? We sh- you should talk to Matt. Matt's got, yeah, Matt's the guy. He's got, his cameraman just did four seasons of Survivor. You should go talk to him. He'll, yeah, yeah, it's work so with exciting. him because he's looking for, he's looking, you know what? He's looking for an AP. You should go, let me give you his number. And people are like, yeah, they want to make happening. shit happen for it's you. It's so exciting. I just, I love how you can sit in any cafe, mm. anywhere in LA pretty much, and you will be overhearing a conversation about a film project or an audition or, or the script that someone's mm. working on. I just love that. Well, anyway, um, anywhere west of anywhere anywhere west of of of, uh, of La Brea and are there boundaries of, on that? Other oh yeah, there's oh, right. boundaries. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I've only really been in West Hollywood. I well, okay. <laughs> south of Sunset, south of Sunset, north of Olympic, um, west of uh, La Brea, uh-huh. and east of. Um, Let's say La Cienega. Right. Don't leave that circle. People could live their entire lives right. in that, yeah. those three square miles. Oh, what I'm most excited about is the food in LA, actually. Well, we Beyond should, anything. We should talk about food because you, you are a plant eater. I'm a plant eater. Yeah. Yeah. Two, year, two years of plant eater and still alive. How's it it's going a miracle. for you? <laughs> How would your Armadale and beef loving friends take to that? Um, I I, I don't, it's fine. Yeah. I mean, I think I'm. You grew up in a house with mud bricks and solar panels. Like, yeah, oh, all right, I'm she's already, vegan now. Fine. I, I was already on the lentil train. <laughs> you know, it, was, it was inevitable. Yeah. Um, actually, and a bunch of my friends were vegetarian long before I was. So yeah. Um, but how are you finding it? I I couldn't imagine being any other way now. I yeah. Think. Like once you, once you realize the reality of what what it actually is that you're eating and and are able to go, okay, that's a piece of cow. It's not beef, that's a piece of a cow, uh-huh. um, which was a real, like, um, really messed with my head initially. Uh-huh. Like, what? I can't, I can't let myself empathise with this piece of meat. That's just a piece of meat. But once I kind of really, and it was Marcello and Simone Rose who kind of introduced me to this concept that 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 cow wanted to live just as much as I do so that really shifted for me Uh um and it came about because also I I was with my dog and she was put down um and we were all all the family was around her and something went wrong with the the drug um I don't think the vet gave her enough (gasps) and so she had this excruciatingly painful death like right in front of us and she was howling at us. It was really horrible. Um, and I, I thought if that's the best, most loving death that I can give to this animal that I love so much, imagine what a routine death in an abattoir is like. And that that really affected me. So, yeah, I, um, 
I'm a huge foodie. Like I'm obsessed with food, as I said before. Um, so realising that I could still eat nice food was a big thing. Like that was what made it possible, I think, for me to, to make the change to being a plant eater. Yeah. In, in Los Angeles, I mean, there's so many amazing, mm. amazing restaurants. Yeah, just get off the plane and go to Gracias Madre. Oh, yes. It's the Mexican Gracias place that Cafe so Gratitude good. guys opened it. Yes, yeah, it's amazing. They came on this show, the Did boys. They? Carrie and Ryland came on this show, yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah, you were alumni with oh, Carrie and Ryland. They, they were on my podcast. Yeah, oh, they told yeah. tell the whole story about how it happened. Uh, oh, yeah. Gratitude is wonderful. Really you, Your recommendation sent us there. Here to help. Back in January 2013. I'm here. I'm I'm here to help. Um, that it's interesting you talk about abattoir. I haven't, you know, I haven't really thought about the choice to not. I mean, I often joke that I, I like that I get to eat and not kill anything, mm. so I can live. Mm. But I didn't really think about you know the abattoir scenario. I don't really think about that that much. To go into that. As far as w- why I don't yeah. eat meat, I'm just like there are lots of oh, different it reasons. doesn't concern me so because I don't eat it. So, mm. but no, I've seen a lot of footage that I can't unsee. Yeah, I yeah. want to unsee because it's yeah. what gives me the the chutzpah to stick yeah. with my guns when people inevitably are yeah. threatened by the fact that I'm not eating the same thing as them and want to kind of you know stir Sweet. me up. A you bit. are a tiny human being. Yes. You're a, a, a slight. Waif like, <laughs> beautiful waif like female, and people would be threatened because yes, you they don't find eat it threatening. Meat. Yeah, they find it. I think, I think everyone is actually on some level aware of of um, the the trauma that happens to animals, mm. and but they're shutting it down constantly. And oh. I did that for many many years. They're shutting it down within themselves. They're not thinking about it. And their reaction is. And so the reaction to meeting someone who's who's saying this is wrong and I'm not going to be part of it is one of fear and 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 pain and anger and upset because it forces them to acknowledge that part of themselves that they're not listening to, yeah. I think. Does that make sense? Like it, it does. It does. It brings up within themselves their own yeah. horror at the situation um, because it is horrible what we do to animals. On a factory farming level, yeah, without it's just, a doubt, yeah, and most of it is factory farming. I was once in um, where was I? I was in uh, uh, Mon- Montana, Wyoming, one mm-hmm. of the one of the men are men states. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we were we were we were skiing, and um, a guy, the guy we were skiing with, said, "Oh, I've got a surprise for dinner." Mm. And this bloke came to the house with an esky half the size of this table. Oh. All right, and. Um, he knew that I'm, I was I was vegan. He goes, "Don't worry, I got you sorted." And oh, I said, "What are you cooking for everybody else?" And he popped the esky and he says, "Well, just after the first snows, I, uh, I for three days I stalked and and bow hunted a white-tailed deer, <laughs> and he he butchered it. And he's very much the snout to hoof kind of chef, oh. but for three days he crawled through the forest with a bow and arrow." And wow! And that's how he killed the animal. So on its terms, if you will, like I, in I, its right. above the snow line. I guess right. But this I is guess, what he did, yeah. and he used the entire animal from from snout to hoof. Yeah. And I'm like, listen, I don't eat it. But, <laughs> and here's the other thing: he was devastatingly handsome and very, very good looking. <laughs> and so the girls in the house was like, 
You killed it with a bow and arrow. Oh, with your bare hands. With your bare hands. It's oh. so much different than putting a cow on a machine yeah. that has a bolt that shoves in its head and then hooking its And it doesn't kill it initially. With a chain, yeah, yeah, the yeah. cow's flailing yeah. around and then automatic saws come and slice it to pieces. I mean, I would argue that still that that white, that, that white tail deer still wanted to live just as much as you or I. Yeah. Yeah, I would too. And that it wasn't necessary maybe for. Yeah, but I do feel, look, but in I this. Do, I do get that. I get in this, yeah. in this life. Not everyone feels the same way mm. I do, and I get it. Mm. Um, though I, you know, but that's I, different from what most meat is. Certainly. Truly, that's an enormous exception to the mm. rule. Enormous exception but to I the rule. I think there is this perception that the, the, you know, the meat industry and the dairy industry puts out that we are still getting uh, animal products from those happy farm sources. Those, oh goodness, those no. kind of um, natural living with um, a red barn and yeah, and it looks a, like babe propaganda and, nah, and marketing not, that makes us think nah, that's not what it looks like. No, certainly pigs. If you eat bacon, oh. wake up Australia. <laughs> yeah, no, that's not that's not where bacon comes from. Well, it's the gas chambered to death. It's, this is this is very sad. This, well, look, you know, it's interesting. I just don't. I just haven't really visited those. You know, I, I I choose the way I, I choose to eat from a resources point of view and a health mm. point of view. Mm, environmentally, and the fact that I don't have to kill anything is, is I'm happy bonus. I'm happy about it. Yeah. Um, but you know, obviously, I'm 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 a compassionate person, and you know, when I th- when I think about that going on, it's like, well, I'm I'm just glad I'm not a part of it. Yeah, it's much. I think it's much harder to watch that footage. It was much harder for me to watch that those images and mm. videos before I became a vegan because when I was watching them initially it was like oh my god I'm I'm doing yeah. this and now it still really upsets me but it's not something that I'm directly it's contributing funny. to as when much. I was still living in Australia about five years ago I watched there was a documentary on SBS about a a small town abattoir in the UK, mm. um, maybe 80 employees, all right, and they service a local farming community. And it said, you know, warning, the following program contains abattoir footage. You're mm. going to watch cows getting killed and sliced up. And a guy I used to work with who's a staunch meat eater couldn't watch it. I watched it the whole mm. way through going, oh, that's right. interesting. I watched yeah. it with curiosity. Mm. You know, I was still like, it's a bummer that, that happens. Yeah. But yeah, I did, this other guy, exactly the same. He yeah, couldn't. Because he, there's a contradiction within yourself, I mm. think, when you feel that that compassion and you squash it. Interesting. Yeah. But if, if people watch that and then they go, I'm totally fine with that, then that's, then, that's, then they're totally fine with it. They're totally yeah, fine with I it. I think, yeah. But you've got to know what's going on, I think. I, that's the only thing I really ask. Know where yeah. your food comes from and know yeah. what it does to you yeah. and the people around you. And, and the planet. And the planet. <laughs> Goodness me. Is that a nice enough note to get out on? <laughs> we need something happy. Vegan lemon balls. Vegan lemon balls okay. are happy. That's happiness. Vegan lemon balls. I'm going to have one more vegan lemon ball. And thank you very much for coming. Thank you so much for having oh, me, Oh, it's unreal. And um, I look forward to many Twitter conversations with you. Arianwenpl on Twitter. A-R-I-A-N-W-E-N-P-L on Twitter. That's where she is. And... um. I might have to call your dad about solar panel stuff. Oh, do. Oh, my gosh. He would love to. Man, this is a really good lemon ball. <laughs> I'm spoiling dinner and I don't care. All right. I'm going to take your photo, okay? Okay. And that's Arianwen Parks Lockwood. You can find her on Twitter at Arianwen, A-R-I. 
A-N-W-E-N-P-L. Let her know you heard her on this show. That would be uh, awesome. The Ariane One Parks Lockwood. There she is. Um, thank you so much for listening. Thanks for being a part of the show. This is uh, something I really enjoy doing very, very much. And each week when I see the thousands of people that listen to this, it really makes me very, very, very grateful that you're here. And um, we're doing this together, you know, because you find this and uh, hopefully enjoy it. Uh, so, yeah. So, thank you so much for listening. The best thing you can do for me is if you like the show, you can tweet out a link to the show uh, or retweet anything that I tweet about the show with a link to it. That would uh, be a huge help to me. That's the only way I get the word out. Uh, I don't charge anything for this show. If you feel like giving back, that's how you can give back. That's it. That's all you have to do. It's pretty easy. Thank you so much for being a part of this. I look forward to talking with you next week. Look after yourself. Sleep well. Dream of beautiful things. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Are you a reality TV junkie? Do you ever think, dang, I wish I had someone to talk to about all the trash TV that I watch? Well, look no further, garbage lover, because Reality Gaze is a podcast for you. Hello, I'm Maddie. And I'm Poodle, and we're the Reality Gaze. We talk about all your favorite unscripted shows like The Golden Bachelor, Love is Blind, and TLC's big, messy behemoth, 90 Day Fiance. And if you're driving to work, folding laundry, or just pretending to listen to your husband talk about sports, just put on the pod, and you've instantly got two gay besties spilling all the tea and reading these people for filth. So come at us, y'all. Find Reality Gaze wherever you listen to podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com.